If you've got your Bibles with you, turn them to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to begin with a, a well-known verse just to set the scene for what we're going to be speaking on today. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and I'm going to read this from different translations and paraphrases um, to bring out what we're going to look at today. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform. Everybody say, do not conform. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, says this, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, developing well-formed maturity within you. And finally, the Passion Translation puts that verse this way. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit for a total reformation of how you think. I want to begin some thoughts today, and we're going to continue them into next week for orbit around this central thought of being people of a different spirit. People of a different spirit. See, in what we've just read, Paul writes to the church in Rome, and he essentially says, don't be like the world around you, but live with a different spirit. Why? Because you now have the Holy Spirit residing within you. Now, for those of you who have read the Old Testament, for those of you who are familiar with the book of Numbers, that phrase, different spirit, may sound familiar to you, and it's because it's spoken by God over the person of Caleb. Now, we're going to look at uh, the story of Caleb next week and kind of look at that in greater depth, but let's just for a moment look at that verse where God speaks this over Caleb. Numbers 14, verse 24, God says, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. A different spirit. Now let's begin to look at this today, and I want to teach on this today, because God's desire for us is that we would live in a different spirit to the world around us. The Bible says that for all those who have become followers of Jesus Christ, who's probably the majority of us in here, we have been brought out of the dominion of darkness and brought into his kingdom, the kingdom of God. But then it goes on and says that he hasn't just left us there, but he has now filled us with his Holy Spirit, that we could live this new life that he has for us in power. And we don't have to live according to this world. We can now live according to the Holy Spirit within us. Paul writes, do not conform. Now, what does it mean to conform? The dictionary defines it this way. It's to be similar or identical to. It's the desire to be like someone else, maybe to do what they do, to wear what they wear, to speak as they speak, to say what they say. It's, it's being afraid to be different. It's a feeling a need to be like everybody else. And the Bible says don't do that with the world around you, but instead be transformed into a different person because you now have a spirit within you. Now, as we begin to look at these thoughts, I, I believe that some of this is going to help you to answer some of the questions that you ask in life. Questions such as, how do I actually bring change? How, how do I make a kingdom difference in my family, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in wherever I'm called 
to be? How can I lead my family or lead in my workplace or lead this group that I'm a part of when the culture seems so set? Maybe you find yourself asking the question, how can I keep a positive face in amongst all these terrible situations? How can I remain a hopeful person in a hopeless world as we talked about last week? How can I keep going when everything and everyone is telling me to give up? How can I live the life that God has for me when I'm surrounded by daily temptations? Maybe you find yourself, and I'm not going to do a straw poll, but you find yourself lowering your standards when you're around certain people. Maybe you find yourself compromising when you're in certain situations in life. Maybe you think, do you know what? It's so easy being a person of faith and being a person of hope when I'm here in a gathering on a Sunday morning in my little protective bubble that you may live in. But out there in in the real world, in the workplace, in my neighborhood, in my unsaved family, it's a lot harder. And so because of that, maybe you find yourself at times conflicted. Maybe you find yourself at times condemned. Maybe you find yourself thinking, this following Jesus malarkey is an uphill battle continually. Maybe you find yourself thinking, how am I ever going to make a difference for God? And I want us to see over the next couple of weeks that we can be people of a different spirit, not by trying harder, not by going on a behavior modification course, but actually by living according to the Holy Spirit that is now Within us. Now, as we talk about this today, I want to I look at it in the language of this, and maybe you've heard this analogy before. The difference between being a thermometer and being a thermostat when it comes to the kingdom of God. Now, we're going to put up a picture on the screen that's going to help you um, to understand this visually. And it's just a visual aid for what we're talking about today. The difference between being a thermometer that just reflects and being a thermostat that actually sets. Now, here's some some basic differences. A thermometer, we know, just measures the world around it, right? It just reflects what's going on. If it's minus 10, it'll be minus 10. If it's plus 30, it'll be plus 30, unless it's broken. If it's working, then it will just reflect what's going on. But a thermostat has the option to set things. It sets the culture. It sets the temperature. So in my home, in the Kerry household, when I'm not in the room, Pastor Kirsty will turn the thermostat up. When she walks out of the room, I'll go and I'll turn the thermostat down. How many people like it very warm? How many people like it are always cold? Yeah, yeah. See, I, I'm always somebody who's always boiling hot. My wife's always somebody who's always freezing cold. And so we'll walk past and the thermostat is in the living room. I'll walk from the lounge to the kitchen. I'm like, oh, she's done it again. Quickly turn it down. I didn't touch it, and so there's a lot of marital strife that we're working through, but it's okay, God's within us and can help us with that. But a thermostat sets things. A thermostat says it's too hot, it's too cold, it determines things, whereas a thermometer just responds. A thermometer has to put up with stuff. It doesn't get to decide. It doesn't get to say, I want it to be this temperature, I want it to be like, it just has to respond. But a thermostat says it's too hot, it's too cold, it's time for things to change. Now, a thermostat may be tiny, but actually it has big influence. And it has the ability to change things on a large scale. A thermostat brings change. It's an agent of change, whereas a thermometer just mirrors what's going on around it. You see the difference here. And God says through the Apostle Paul, don't conform to this world. Don't be like a thermometer that just, depending on what environment you're in, you just fit in with a culture that is surrounding you. But instead, be transformed. Be the thermostat that brings change, that sets the atmosphere to how God wants it. 
And so today we're going to look at just briefly three accounts, two from the Old Testament, one from the New, a very simple word that sets us up for next week. But I want us to see p- examples of people who were of a different spirit that would enable us and encourage us to do likewise. So the first one is found in Daniel chapter 3. Just turn your Bible there. Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to look at the account of these three young Hebrew guys who, if you've grown up in church, you know their names so well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they've been brought to, to Babylon as, as captives. They're living under the rule of this power-hungry king called King Nebuchadnezzar. Not a name that you hear. There's not many Nebuchadnezzars in school nowadays, are there? It's not so much a popular name. But here was King Nebuchadnezzar, who's power-hungry, has got somewhat of an ego problem going on. And so he builds himself this, this massive statue that is uh, nine foot wide, 90 foot high, um, lined in gold. And then, as if that's not much of an ego trip, he issues his further decree and says, here's what I want you to do. Every time the music plays, you're going to bow down in the direction of the statue. You're going to worship the statue. So not only has he built something for himself, then he says everybody has to worship it. And if you don't, then you will die. Now, I don't know, this guy is somewhat of an e- on an ego trip. You will do this or you will die. You'll be thrown into the furnace. And so here are these three young guys. They could have been a thermometer. They're living in a land that's not their own. They're living under a culture of fear. They're being told to worship an idol. They could have said, well, well, we'll just go along with it. Everyone else has turned their back on God. Everyone else is doing So I'm sure God will understand the pressure that we're under in this moment. But they didn't. They refused to conform. They refused to be of the same spirit as everybody else around them. Now listen to what they said uh, or the response after they said, we're not doing this because it's not of God. Daniel chapter 3 verse 13. It says, Van Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the golden statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what god will be able to rescue you from my power? What god will be able to to rescue you. And in this moment, we can imagine, in part, the pressure that would have been upon these three young guys. Everything in front of them, the king, the furnace, the music, their fellow citizens who are compromising, their enemies, all of this putting pressure on them to conform and to compromise, yet God was more real to them than anything that was around them. And so in verse 16, they say this, they reply, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we say, serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. They basically say, do what you want. Chuck us in the fire, but we are not compromising. We will be people of a different spirit. We are not conforming. You see, real faith believes that God can and expects that he will, but trusts him even when it feels like he isn't. And so they say, we're not doing this. And so the king 
goes and makes the, the furnace seven times hotter and the guys take them in and, and the guys who are taking them in are burnt up and killed in a moment. They're thrown bound into the fiery furnace and we know the account if you've grown up in church that King Nebuchadnezzar looks and he says, hang on a minute, why aren't they dying? And why, when we threw three men into the fire of the fourth, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. Now in Daniel chapter 3, verse 26, he makes this statement. You are servants of the Most High God. I want you to catch this. But just a moment ago, he was saying, what God is going to save you from my power? Here he is now declaring that they are servants of the Most High God. Because you see, when you don't compromise in your faith, even the most godless person will begin to realize that your God is the Most High God. And so they come out of this furnace. In verse 28, not a singe upon them. It says, then King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants, they trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree, listen to this turnaround, that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. These guys were of a different spirit. These guys refused to conform. They refused to be the thermometer just reflecting the culture around them. They became the thermostat changing the culture around them. Listen, today, there remains a pull upon the people of God to compromise, to worship the gods of this age. And maybe not A physical statue, all right? Chances are you will not turn up for work tomorrow and there'll be a 90-foot statue of your boss before you've... I don't know. I don't know where some of you work. Maybe there will be. If there is, then call call the uh, press. You'll make a lot of money out of that. But chances are you won't have a 90-foot statue of your boss that you have to bow down and worship. But there is still a pull upon the people of God to worship the gods of this age, the gods of sex, the gods of money, the gods of pride and power and influence and selfishness, whatever it might be. And we have a choice. Will we bow down and blend in? Well, everyone else is doing it. You don't have to be like everybody else. You can be a person of a different spirit. You can be the thermostat in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, wherever God has called you to be. I will not bow. And when you do, the word of God shows us, you begin to influence people and your God is glorified. Okay, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Let's look at another well-known account. Here is Daniel. Like his three mates, he's exiled in Babylon. And he's a man of excellence. He's distinguished himself above all others. And so he's in a place where King Darius, who's now the king, has said, I'm going to set you over a whole uh, area of, of land. And so this is what he's doing. He's bringing Daniel up. And the other administrators don't like that because he's taking their jobs. And so they look and they say, we've got to find something on him. We've got to pin something on him. But they actually make this statement. We can't pin anything on him other than anything that has to do with his God. They knew he was a man of principle. They knew he was a man of honor. So they said, we'll get him where it hurts. We'll get him in the area of his faith. And so they go to Darius and Darius issues this decree that for 30 days, no one can pray to, to their God other than to the king. And so they make this a law and and Daniel is in this place where he hears about this and he could have been like a thermometer. 
reflecting his culture. He could have said, well, I, I know it's watering down my faith, but, but it's only 30 days. You know, God wants me alive. God doesn't want me thrown to the lion's den. So God wants me alive in 31 days. So for 30 days, I won't pray. And, and then I'll make up for it. I'll pray all the time after 31 days, God. We'll, we'll make this pact, but I might not pray. You know, Spurgeon said this, but it's hard enough getting people to a prayer meeting now. Imagine if they were threatened with lions, how small the queue would be to come into a prayer meeting in churches. The reality is he could have said, I'll just wait a little while. But he chose not to be a man of compromise. And so the Bible tells us that he goes home and in front of his window, he, he begins to worship his God and pray to his God three times a day, as was his custom. And so the guy setting him up go to the king. And the king loved Daniel, but he knew that the law had to stand. And so he takes Daniel to the lion's den. And they throw him in. And they, put the, 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 they seal the entrance up. And then they go home. Now in the morning... This is what we find in Daniel chapter 6, verse 19. Now understand, this is not a Sunday school story that we color in the pictures for. This is a reality of what took place. Daniel 6, verse 19 says, Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you served so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Verse 26, the king says this, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel became the thermostat and the culture changed around him. Today there is a pull on the people of God to water down our faith. Notice that around you? There is a pull on the people of God to bend and to twist and to make everything that we believe acceptable to the world around us. There is a call to water down the truths of God's word and make God's word politically correct. And you may not be threatened with lions. Again, it's unlikely Unlikely that you'll turn up for work tomorrow and if you, you know, say you went to church yesterday that they'll threaten you with lines. We haven't yet reached that stage in this great kingdom that we're a part of in the United Kingdom. But you will face ridicule. And you may battle with loneliness. And there may be accusation and there may be criticism. But we have a choice. Will we water down our faith and what we believe to blend in? Or will we be a thermostat that sends the temperature and says, I will honor my God. Because when you do, let me tell you, every lion that is around your life, God will shut the mouth of those lions. Every accusation, God will shut those mouths. Every ridicule, God will shut those mouths righteously. And God will be glorified in the midst of you standing as a person of a different Spirit. Amen? One final one. We'll end with this. Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we read of Paul and Silas, and they're on their way to the place of prayer. And this female, you can read about it for the sake of time. I'll just summarize. 
she, she keeps calling out about them and Paul begins to be irritated because he knows there's a spirit within her and so he casts out the spirit. And that's all well and good, the only problem being that actually that spirit was enabling her to be a fortune teller and the people who were making money out of her surprisingly weren't that impressed that she had lost her ability to do this. And so they, they get Paul and Silas and them with another crowd that have kind of gathered begin to flog them and publicly they're stripped naked, they're flogged and then they're put into prison with their feet in stocks. Now we need to understand that in those days prison were not healthy places. Prisons were not, you know, in, in a situation that was healthy or pleasant. In the mind of people, prison should equal death. And so these prisons would have been dark. They would have been in this place where they were cramped. These chains would have been heavy. Often they were rusty. That would have stopped them from being able to be in a place of, of sound sleep. You would have hardly fed these prisoners. They would have been hungry in this moment. Often the prisoners would have to use their cell as their toilet. Often, because of overcrowding, this is reality that they know from those days, that People would die, and because of overcrowding, they would just pile them up in the corner of a cell before the bodies were taken away. And so here are Paul and Silas in this cell that is cramped. In this cell where they've got stocks on their feet and their hands, where, where they're rusting. In this place where people all around are, are crying out. In this place probably of total darkness, where they would have been severely beaten for doing the work of God they, they would have been in a place where their muscles were aching because again sometimes we can just read the Bible and say oh yeah and Paul began to pray no no they would have been in a place where their muscles were aching having not eaten and fe- their, their heads were probably pounding they would have had uh, open wounds that hadn't been looked after they would have been sore and maybe even beginning to get infected and in this place the, the, the reality is that most people would have just given up most people would have been a thermometer and just sunk into depression and fear and self-pity and loathing and they're tired and they're beaten but in this moment where most would have cuddled up into a corner Paul rises to his feet and he begins to praise his God and he begins to say God you're a way maker or the equivalent him that they would have said you're a miracle worker God, I know that you will supply all of my needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God, you're the God who can do exceedingly abundantly far above all that we dare to dream. Or Come on, Silas, get up on your feet. And we don't know whether Silas was enthusiastic or whether, okay, just followed the, the rule of his leader. But they were both beginning to praise and to worship their God. God, you can do all things. God, there is none like you in the midst of this pain and this suffering, and this darkness, and the stench all around them, all of this kind of stuff, he begins to set the temperature, and things begin to change. And Acts chapter 16 verse 26 says this, and suddenly, do you know when you begin to praise God, even in the midst of your pain, suddenly it's begin to happen. When you're in a place where you could just sink back into self-pity and in this place where you say, I'm just going to give up. When you keep praising God, even in the midst of that, suddenly it's begin to happen. And it's not a coincidence, it's a response to the fact that you are saying, I'm not going to be a thermometer just reflecting what's going on around me. I'm going to be a person of a different spirit who still praises God even when life is rubbish. I'm not going to praise him just when everything is going well. I'm going to praise him while I wait. I'm going to praise him even in the midst of what I'm going through. And so Acts chapter 16 verse 26 says, Suddenly there was a massive earthquake. 
And the prison was shaken to its foundations. This is the power of praise. And all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. And he assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop. Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked them this question. (laughs) Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who had lived in his household. Paul and Silas said, we're not responding to this situation by just accepting it. We're not going to wallow in self-pity. We're going to praise our God even in the midst of our pain. And as they did, the foundations began to shake. Freedom broke out. And you read on, people are saved. People are baptized. God is glorified. Today, there is a pull on the people of God to conform and to live to the spirit of this age. This spirit that is a a spirit of doubt, of fear. The spirit of fear that is in operation. Read the news. See the spirit of fear in operation every single day in negativity. I I, I once was looking recently on BBC News website. I, I don't like to go there very often. But I was just looking, and this is what it said. There was an article that said, how frightened or how worried should we be? I shut it down and said, I'm not going to respond to what the world is telling me when they're writing articles about telling me how worried I should be. Listen, I turn to the Word of God, and the Bible tells me how faith-filled I should be, how, how knowledgeable I should be of God's promises and all that He has for me. There is a pull for us to live in hopelessness in doubt, in fear, to to pull back and believe that God cannot anymore. But God is looking for some people who will set the kingdom culture of praise, of hope, of faith. Amen? Amen? And we have a choice. Will we slip into the negativity of the world around us? Or will we set the temperature? My God is able to do all things. He will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And I will praise God even in my valley. I will praise God even in my pain. I will praise God even in my confusion when I don't understand. I will praise God even when everybody else around me is freaking out with fear. I will praise God even when everybody tells me there's no reason to because he's not real. I will praise God as much in the valley as I will on the mountaintop. And when you do, not only will you be set free from everything that's holding you, but it has an influence on the people around your life that you step into the workplace and you change that environment. You step into your unsafe family, you change that environment. You step into different areas in life and you change the environment around you to a point that people will be saved and God will be glorified. We could go on and on, but let's stop there. We'll pick this up again next week. The Bible is full of people who said, I will not conform to the world around me. I'm not going to be somebody who's influenced. I'm going to be an influencer. Not, not in a social media sense, in a kingdom of God sense. But I will influence the people around my life. And we see a bit of a pattern developing, don't we? But when people don't just blend in, but they set the temperature, they set 
the culture, when they choose to be of a different spirit, others are influenced and God is glorified. Let's just end it there, but let me ask you this question just as we step into a new week. This coming week, will you choose to be a person of a different spirit? It doesn't come by trying harder, or, but it just comes by knowing who you're... Will you choose to step into environments and not conform to the worldly culture around you, but stick out as a person of a different spirit? Will you be a person who turns fear into faith? Negativity into hope. Gloom and depression into praise. Will you be a person who turns hate into forgiveness? When everybody else is around you is speaking the language of hate and anger. Will you be a person who steps into the midst of that with forgiveness and peace? Will you be a person who stands for purity in an immoral world? Will you be a person who journeys from apathy to passion? There's so many apathetic Christians let alone unsaved people, so many apathetic Christians. Will you be a person of passion for the kingdom of God? Will you be a person who journeys from compromise to steadfastness? Because in these days, God is looking for a church who will not conform. As we step into the days that are coming, God is looking for a church that will not conform, but will be transformed by the words they say by the mindsets they have and by the actions they take. What could you do? What change could God bring into areas through you if you chose to be a person of a different spirit? Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you have brought us out of the kingdom of darkness, the dominion of darkness, and you brought us into your kingdom, a kingdom of light, a kingdom where you've called us to make a difference. God, help us not to conform to something that we were a part of, something that we were engaged in. God, help us by the power of your Spirit to walk in a way that when we walk into rooms, things begin to change, not because of our personality type, not because of our sense of humor, none of that personal stuff but because of you the Holy Spirit within us changing the environment around us God in the midst of all that we are facing we stand as a people of praise we stand as a people who will not compromise we stand as a people who stand for truth and God we just pray use our lives these coming seven days God over our young people just want to pray for our young people just as we close from the very youngest, Lord, to the teenagers in Ignition. Lord, we just speak that they will be an uncompromising generation. In a time that is so warped, in an age where there's so much compromise, Lord, we speak your protection upon our young people and we thank you that they will be influencers in the best sense of the word, influencers for your kingdom. Lord, I thank you that as they walk into their, their primary schools and their secondary schools this coming week, into colleges and into universities, Lord, we thank you that our young people will stand for righteousness, will be people of joy, will be people of peace. And Lord, we thank you over our young people that they will be culture setters where you have placed them that they will not be like thermometers just responding to the world around them but they will be like thermostats that begin to bring change to the areas that you have called them to so from the very youngest to the very oldest of us Lord we pray use us in these coming days to be kingdom influencers that we would see people saved and you glorified we pray Amen Amen.
Come on, give God praise this morning. I pray that that's a challenge to you and we'll continue that next week. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to know more about this journey of faith, and uh, Mark and Glennis are at the back of the hall. And I'm just going to invite you to go and speak with them and just find out um, what the next steps in your journey could be. If you say, do you know what, I'm not yet a Christian, but I want to know more, then go and speak to them and they can help you on your next steps. Well, stick around, grab a tea or coffee, and um, just so thankful for each and every single one of you in a way that you just love God, serve God, and uh, the best is yet to come, truly. Amen.